0: Good day! Today is December six, 2023. I'm Derek Fildebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm joined, I would say as usual, but actually I haven't been here very usually late, but joined normally, as usual, by Western Standard opinion editor Nigel Hannaford. Good to see you, Nigel.
1: Normally I'm here. You don't know what happened when you weren't, do
0: you? I, you know, I, I really have no idea. So, I can't even say the show's going to hell. Anyway, I don't know. You never watched it? No. Come on, you did. I know you Sometimes. Did. Sometimes.
1: Okay, good to be here.
0: Also, got uh, our usual as well Western Standard uh, Alberta columnist, Corey Morgan.
2: Good evening.
0: So we've got some interesting topics today. Um, Alberta Kool Aid man's its way into COP28. Uh, very much unwelcome by the Canadian federal government and I would say very likely most of the organizers and other delegates at the COP28 uh, confab going on in Dubai, Alberta has just smashed through the wall there to pretty much rain on their parade and say, well, uh, there are responsible oil and gas producers in the world. Alberta is one. You guys should shove it where where the oil comes from and uh, let us do our thing. Rachel Notley, Alberta, former Alberta Premier, current uh, NDP leader and opposition leader. Uh, It's not official yet, but I think everyone is getting the feeling. She's probably headed towards the, uh, the exit pretty soon here. We're gonna talk about her likely imminent retirement and the potential battle to replace her. And speaking of retirement, the latest liberal speaker Uh, to take over in the big chair in the House of Commons. Uh, Well, he's on death watch, I think, at this point. Uh, The last speaker had to step down for inviting a Waffen-SS soldier from the Second World War to be honoured in the House of Commons. Um... this speaker, uh, engaging in partisan activity and things that is very much not allowed and is frowned upon for someone in the so-called non-partisan role, uh, faces the very real prospect of being essentially impeached in their position and uh, replaced. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Before we get into it, though, oh, I just got to thank my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Uh, I've supported the CSSA for over a decade because they're Canada's leading firearm firearms rights group. Uh, the CSSA brings together uh, shooters of uh, of all different types in Canada to defend their rights on Parliament Hill, educating the public and uh, working with the politicians to make our laws and regulations at least as, as least insane as it possibly can be. Without the CSSA, uh, I shudder to think where our right to own firearms in Canada Would would be today. So if you're not yet a member of the CSSA, go to cssa-cila.org, or just Google them as I do, and become a member today. It's money very well spent. There was exclusive footage of Alberta Premier Danielle Smith entering the uh, COP28 confab in uh, in Dubai. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with. I'm starting with you today. I don't, I don't want to do with Nigel first and then go back i I'm starting with you. Um, not very welcome by, uh, I think, most of the, the COP28 delegates, activists, and particularly the Canadian federal government, right? Eh?
2: No, I mean, these are anti-oil and gas love-ins. We, we know that. Even though it's being hosted in Dubai, even though they're being unapologetic about their production, having other areas that produce oil and gas dare to come in and try to say, we're not as bad as everybody else is making us out to be. Uh, not a welcome uh, presence in that that crowd. I mean, that's the Greta Thunberg highlight of the year. That's the Stephen Gill bowl gathering. It's there. You know, uh, Joe Vipond was in there uh, rambling. He's getting stranger. Uh, I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> yeah. So for, for Premier Smith to show up, I mean, I, I'm mixed on it. I, I still don't like us spending that much money sending people over to these things. Uh, it sounds like she's got a pretty large delegation with her. I mean, I, I appreciate her messaging, but I, I don't know if necessarily we need, needed to send 100 Albertans over there to speak up for us. I mean, you're, you're speaking to a room of people that hate you anyway.
0: Well, I think that, that number was a bit misreported. Was it? Okay? Um, I, there was 100 you. people going on the Alberta delegation, but roughly uh, 75%, maybe even slightly more, are, you know, like they're guys running oil and gas companies or something, and they're going on their own dime. So so they're not going on the government dime. It's just part of the delegation. Yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, Premier Smith and her husband, uh, although I think he's supposed to be paying his own way. But he's listed on the delegation, so he'll have access and whatnot, but he's paying his own way. There's some government staffers are going who are obviously paid for by government taxpayers, but I think uh, something like 75% of that list they're delegates, okay. but they're no, not it's being good paid for good by to taxes. confirm
2: all the same, yeah. So yeah. that's good to know. But uh, I mean, seventy thousand of them at this thing—it's just insane. I mean, are they going to break
0: the six figures next year? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah. So, I uh, Nigel, I, there's the left uh, has been, for lack of a better term, the left. But there's you know there's been a lot of people actually upset in Alberta that ah oh, this this delegation is, is too big. Although some of that may have just become become uh, might be because the number got a bit confused. The government list is is a hundred people, and there's a hundred delegates from Alberta, but vast majority are not going. But uh, they tend to be people who never had a problem with uh, the federal government's massive delegation. Or if Rachel Notley went <laughs> to something like this, um, but uh, it, it's it's definitely been fuel on the fire of relations between Alberta and uh, and the federal government uh do you think that the, i don't know has the has this perhaps worsened relations uh between the two because ottawa sees this is their turf this is international alberta's supposed to stay at home and be quiet oh i don't think you could ever make it any worse than what it was a couple of weeks ago
1: before the conference even started i mean clearly there is no meaningful communication there are you know people take the stage and they say the right thing but they're clearly on a collision course and that's And they've known they were going to be on a collision course for a very long time. That's why the Sovereignty Act was the first thing that uh, the Premier did when she was, uh, you know, when they opened the session. And if, uh, if there was any appetite for negotiation and compromise, there have been plenty of meetings and occasions, even phone calls, where this could have been initiated and things put on a different track. Premier smith has all kinds of political reasons for taking the stance that she's taking which is not to say that that's the only reason she's doing it she is a true believer and i think that uh, she speaks for many in alberta when she says we have to keep control of our own energy policy it's ours anyway so but at the same time there's lots of reasons why Works well for the federal government to have a fight with a scrappy province when there's an election in 22 months time, if they can even hang on that long. So I, I, I don't find the rhetoric at all surprising. Well, what I would say, when, when you were saying, you know, maybe we, do we even need to be there? Yes, I think we do. And we, the, you know, we, the province of Alberta, we have a point of view. Or at least the government of Alberta has appointed. Well, it's obviously which is widely
0: supported. Alberta's view is obviously not represented by the federal
1: government. Exactly, and so if you don't take the podium and defend what it is that you're doing, you're at the mercy of these, you know, people who mock you, like the what is it, the the Climate Action Network uh, presenting them with the dinosaur of the
2: of fossil the day. of the day. Fossil of the day.
1: I mean, this must take you back to your own days at the uh, CTF when. You drew attention to something by pulling a stunt in mean, earlier this year. They well, we
0: used to give golden pig awards. You know, well, the teddies, the golden exactly. pigs. To you know, politicians.
1: they weren't even fossilized, were they? And the, uh, you know, the Climate Action Network earlier this year did something on Parliament Hill where they all wore
0: oil barrels. You know, yeah. Okay, it's all good, clean fun. Well, if Alberta got the fossil of the day award, I mean that. That's internationally prestigious. Well, I, I said you know, on my so show, should have,
2: done, should have done like Tom Green with the Raspberry Awards, and actually been the first one to show up and claim it. You know, Premier Smith, say thank you very much. We we do value yeah. our fossil fuels yeah. and the value they bring to citizens and people. Absolutely, mm-hmm.
0: Alberta should be very proud getting that. You know, like for a province to get it. I mean, they give these things to like the Koch brothers or you know America, like the mm-hmm. very big players get the fossil of the day award. For Alberta to win it, I mean this is like Alberta won an Olympic gold medal. This very proud.
2: That's what I mean. This is just posturing. These whole affairs in general. But I guess yes, if you leave it uncountered, they'll just carry on. The thing is, the
1: Climate Action Network and people like them don't actually have a solution to the no. very practical problem that Smith is trying to address by defending the province's right to deal with its own well, energy policy.
0: Well, so that let's then turn to uh, some developments that took place there. So uh, Smith is uh, already put for uh, the Alberta legislature. Smith's request has already invoked the Sovereignty Act against Ottawa's intrusion into Alberta's right to run its own electric, uh, electrical grid. Um, and Alberta, it was announced, I think, just before COP28 started. Alberta announced, we met our methane reduction targets three years early, if I, if That's that. right. I think I'm getting it. Three years early, uh-huh. a big announcement. And I thought, well, you know, this would be an opportunity for Gilbo to, you know, you can't be bad cop all day, every day. Everybody has to play good cop once in a once in a while, just to show that you're capable of positivity. I mean, even even if it's just a show to put on, it's good diplomacy, it's good politics, right? Of course. Um <laughs> curiously, remember our energy reporter Sean Polzer uh, noted this in the news, and I was like, oh, that is odd. There wasn't. So much as a tweet or news release from Mr. Gilbo, the federal environment minister, that like, well, he must be happy about this. This is this is a good thing, and it's something Alberta did and agreed to. And three years early, like I thought he'd be like good cop for a day, and then he'd go back to being himself. Nothing. Well, now we know why. He took the opportunity when he was in Dubai to announce Canada was going to slash methane uh, emissions even more. And he did it unilaterally without consulting, I don't know about any province, but certainly not the provinces that produce methane, Alberta, Saskatchewan, the major oil and gas producing uh, jurisdictions, uh, which obviously uh, got Smith up against the wall. And she's talking about invoking the Sovereignty act again right now. Well, it shows the, the
2: futility of trying to appease these nuts. You might as well start calling them what they are. I mean, Elizabeth May is saying carbon capture is evil now. She's campaigning against it. So carbon yeah. capture is not allowed. Nuclear is not allowed. Damming rivers isn't allowed. I, we're, we're running out of options. And and whenever we do actually comply, as I said with the emissions reductions, they just move the goalposts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like at some point we got to draw a line. So that's our line. We've had it with you guys. Yeah. You? A point which she actually made
0: in her response to mm. that. I think, so. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what, what's Alberta to do. With this like we 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 meet these methane uh, reduction targets three years early. Uh-huh. That's pretty aggressive. And I was genuinely wondering, well, why nothing from Gilbo? Well, we know now he was he was planning a surprise attack. Um, I don't know what you do. I mean I mean something like the Sovereignty Act would seem to be the only thing one can do other than submit. Yeah. Well there's one other option. Well <laughs>
2: What? This one I've been proposing for 20-some <laughs> years now.
0: But, uh. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we're going to start charging Corey for plugging his book on this. I was going to plug the <laughs> book.
2: I was talking about the option. But, I mean, yeah. if you do want to poke, uh, you know, the, if you keep cornering people, then they do start to look to, to solutions that may seem more radical than, than otherwise before. He's, he's fomenting more independence attitudes than I've ever been able to in 20 years of effort.
0: Yeah, and it's not just what they're doing. It's the way they're doing it. Because... Like methane, unlike carbon dioxide, is a bad thing. Carbon dioxide is uh, plant food. It's plant food. Mm. You know, it's it's a perfectly natural substance in the world. I'm, I'm sure if the proportion in the atmosphere gets off, it could upset balance like anything. But it's a natural thing. It's normal. Methane is a very extreme greenhouse gas, and it's toxic. It's it's unless it's used in very intentional, controlled circumstances as a chemical, it's not good. So, okay, we want to reduce methane. You know, I'm, I'm no tree hog and hippie, but I, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as it's reasonable and achievable, I'm okay with that. But then Gilbo comes along and says, no, 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 we're moving the goalposts. And at this point, you know, it's just, it's fanaticism. It's, it, it, is, it is pure, you, you can just see it in this man's eyes. It is a dangerous fanaticism that cares not for human life, but for these utopian ideological goals that is just dangerous. It's a
1: fanaticism that is informed by the very real prospect that he does not have as long as another two years to do everything that he thinks he has been mandated and ordained by a higher power to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. They could be out of office quite soon, at the max though, two years. So they are going for broke And you asked just now, what does Alberta do? A, wait them out. B, because I I don't think they're going to still be there in two years' time. And B, in the meantime, you respectfully and politely, but very firmly, apply the law. And you resist legally, in any way you can, against the intrusions of a federal government that clearly doesn't like you. Doesn't want to see you do your job and keep the lights on and the power on when it's cold. Or Indeed. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, they're doing, they, they are doing that and good for them.
0: All right. Well, Rachel Notley, former Alberta Premier and current uh, NDP opposition leader. Uh, I, you never know that maybe she'll give it a fourth kick of the can, but uh, appears likely to announce a retirement fairly soon uh she has now she's run for premier in 2015 which she won uh 2019 which she lost and now 2023 which she lost so she's had three elections which is a lot even if you win them all but when you've lost two out of the back three there uh, i mean it's pretty it's very rare for a politician ever uh at least as a head of government to run again for a second try uh after they've l- lost, especially once they've already been in government, been the Premier, been the Prime Minister. It's very rare in Canadian history. Uh, it is almost unheard of in modern Canadian political history. This kind of thing happened, I think, the last time it happened federally. Uh, uh, Pierre Trudeau did it, uh, and before him, uh, Mackenzie King. Uh, and then before him, Sir John MacDonald. So three Prime Ministers in Canadian history, and going back pretty far. The most recent was Pierre Trudeau in 1980, so it's pretty rare. Um so I, I think it's highly unlikely that Naughty Lee would make a fourth kick in the can after losing two already and go for a third potential loss again. Mm-hmm. Um, her reputation, though, despite losing two elections in a row, is still very strong with her party. Uh, she, she's below, but I think, you know, talking with New Democrats when I'm in Edmonton, the belief is it's 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 time to go. She's They love her, so they're not going to push her out violently. It's not going to be a Tom care kind of coup. Or a Jason Kenny coup, uh, but I, it, it's time to go. Um, Nigel, uh, do you think it's likely Notley's going to retire and that we're going to see it soon?
1: Yes, I do. For all the reasons that you just gave, um, the problem for the party is that she is still really about the best they've got. I was just going looking through the. You know, the list of sitting MLAs, which is the first place you would look for a, for a new leader. Uh-huh. And I see a couple. I mean, there's David Egan. Uh, I, he actually ran for the leadership before lost to her. Uh, he's actually the, the sort of man you could sit down and have a drink with and, and not come away feeling like you'd in you another know, place you shouldn't. Uh, Joe Cece, we know him very well down here in Calgary.
0: You, you know, David Egan uh, actually tried to help me not get beaten up by a union mob once. Well, I rest my case. I, I, but I didn't take his in advice, fact, I, I went in and deliberately incited them and they did attack me. Yeah, but yeah. he warned me not to do it.
1: Well, <laughs> so I, I would have to say then, Derek, you owe him a
0: drink. And what a good job, he's the sort of guy you should be able to sit down and have a drink The mob with. did attack me, but I did yeah. precisely the opposite of what he told me to yeah, do. All right. Largely because he told me not to incite them. So. Uh, <laughs>
1: that having, having named those two individuals, you very quickly run out of patience with the rest for a whole variety of reasons. And I'm, I'm sort of thinking to myself, the NDP, there is a move to rebrand the party because it's certainly the common perception that they're joined at the hip with the federal party and nobody likes the federal party that's keeping uh, the liberals in power. So I'm sure that hurt them badly in, in the last election. So, if they're going to, but I, you know, it's not a new name that the NDP needs, it's, uh, it, it, it's just a new leader. And I would say, if I, heaven forbid, that I would ever tell the NDP anything that might be helpful in winning the next election, but I would have to say that they are what they need is somebody who can be equally at home dealing with... Calgary is a business community, right? So you need somebody who by the, their dress and appearance and rhetoric and the language they use doesn't just make people listen politely and then wish them well as they leave. Somebody you can actually engage with. And they still gotta be able to deal with the union mob up in, in Edmonton. So, You need that, and you need somebody who can be outward looking, unpleasant, and actually grow the the party. And I'm not sure that that person is presently serving in the legislature.
0: So they're going to have to look outside. Uh, I would say, So we'll we'll turn to successor. You're really anticipating me. You know, I was going to get there. You're anticipating me too. You're anticipating the questions too much. Before we get there, maybe we'll actually back up to a question I should have asked before I asked you your question, Nigel, is should she retire? Because I think a lot of what you said, Nigel, raises the question. Do I think Rachel Notley can win and be premier again? Highly doubtful. I mean, uh, the UCP could melt and she wins by default. It damn near happened with Jason Kenney. I think if if he had not stepped down as leader and, and been successfully ousted, I think it's almost certain she would have been premier here today the, the right would have split split again uh, and she's likable she's a likable person i know some people like to be like i hate her and they're gonna call her all sorts of nasty words well yeah sure as a political leader but as as a person she she's warm and she's personable uh she's the happy face on socialism um and, and she connects with people and and she she's a good leader for what she's trying to achieve. She keeps her party united, marching in the same direction. Um, but yeah, barring a meltdown of the UCP, I don't think she can win. But I guess that raises the question, can any NDP leader win? I mean, Alberta is a two-party province now, but it is still Alberta. And it's, it's difficult to see how, you know, without a perfect storm like happened in 2015, divided conservative vote, all sorts of stuff, Should she leave? Is she the best they can do? And should the NDP settle for being a very strong and robust opposition?
2: Well, I I think she's the best we can see for now and the best they can see for now. There might be something in the wings we haven't thought of or, or a rising star somewhere. But I guess the question is, how tired is she? You know, it's a tough job. She's been there a long time. She, you know, it's wear and tear. And uh, I think part of what they were perhaps hoping for, a lot of the campaign was, of course, trying to create fear of Premier Smith. Daniel Smith's going to rend Albert to shreds. She's, you know, crazy. She's going to uh, come in and, and tear all our institutions apart. And while she's certainly stirring up the establishment, uh, Premier Smith hasn't gone beyond the pale uh, she she hasn't torn things to, to their roots or anything like that. So I think the
0: bureaucrats at AHS might disagree. They'll
2: claim that, but they the electorate in general. I I don't think they're seeing, you know, the fearsome uh, lunatic that, that they tried to portray Smith as in the last mm-hmm. election. So if, if if Premier Smith even just holds the course for, for three years, it's very, very unlikely that that the NDP would disrupt her in a further election, as you said, it's a two-party system, but it is Alberta still, and I think that she would probably still even do better the next time around. So, what Notley has to be asking herself is, do I want another four years as the leader of the opposition? Perhaps she does, but that's a, well, tough, then, a, but wait, a yeah, tough and tiring job. There are,
0: it's not a four-year commitment. Well, that's, that's a minimum. A, eight another year. four years, yeah, yeah on, like, on top of if it. If she wants to go, that's an eight-year commitment, yeah. and I. I don't know how old she is, and right, so it's not polite to date yeah, the lady, but she's, sir, she's not a spring chicken I, I, I believe anymore, she's yeah?
2: about 60, 61, so not ancient by political measure, but, no. but she's been in office for a long time, putting in well, a it lot of since service, yeah, and, and uh, you know, eventually you've got to be starting to think,
0: maybe I just don't quite need this anymore. No, I think she's been there since 2001. Was it 2001? Yeah. She was there when the NDP was a two-member caucus, so, her and so Brian she, Mason. She, she, oh, yeah, no, no, 2004.
2: Okay, that's still 19 years. That, that that's a pretty long stretch of uh, of time in in the legislature. So uh, yeah, I, I could just uh, I, it's up to her. You know that that really is where it's sitting right now. As you said, the NDP aren't at a point of wanting terror out or anything. Uh, some might be saying perhaps it's time, but it, it's fully uh, up to Rachel Notley to decide if she's had enough yet or not.
0: Okay. Well, let's let's talk about her uh, her potential successor here. Um, so. You know, I think one of the problems, uh, every time you have an internal leadership struggle, like you're trying to throw, throw, uh, overthrow a leader, those defending the incumbent leader always say, ah, oh, who could possibly take over? They said that about J.C. Kenney. They said that about Allison Redford. They said that about Ed Stelmach. They said that about Jean Chrétien. Well, they did say about Jean Chrétien because it was clear that it was, that was a leader-driven coup. So yeah, Paul Martin. But uh, anytime there's been a leadership struggle, uh, they said about Patrick Brown in Ontario. Uh, they said it about Andrew Shear They said it about Aaron O'Toole. They said it about Stephen Harper. It, it, Somebody will surface. You, there's open up. The these field. are good jobs. They pay a decent money. They come with prestige. They're, I guess like they're paying the ass, but they they're fun. You get to make a difference theoretically. There's always no shortage of ambitious politicians to take the job. In most cases, we did have. Problem finding a wild rose leader after the giant floor crossing in 2014. That's because it was a shitty job to take.
2: Well, yeah, you're, you're taking a, a sort of like post Mulroney to a poison yeah. chalice, I think was the yeah. term with the book. you know. It, yeah,
0: so, uh, but in the vast majority of cases, especially, so taking over as leader of the opposition of a very large party, you know, that's been in government, they're going to have no problem. So I'm, I don't like that argument because it's said by people in every, every, every time you're getting a new leader. So no good. So, uh, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the main uh, the main options on offer uh so sarah hoffman still a key, key player in the ndp for, uh, she was the health minister under notley and the deputy premier um by standards fairly competent um she might play a new democrat on tv but actually a very lovely person in person um you know i, th- I don't think a lot of people talk about her this way on the right side but shannon phillips i think actually would be a good choice for the NDP to consider. Uh, pretty well-spoken. When she can keep, she gets a little yelly sometimes because she's very passionate, but uh, passion's good. Uh smart. Uh, she comes from kind of the green left part of that party. And, you know, the NDP is it's very tribal. You know, conservatives, you know, if there's a conservative leadership, you know, Danielle Smith can come in. She wasn't a party activist there. She was just radio. And she, she can Kool-Aid ban her way in. Or you know Trump, Frank. He was a Democrat for a long time, but he just bullied his way in. Conservatives are more open to the outsider, uh, but New Democrats in particular, they like someone who's been a active party member, who's been knocking on doors and putting in signs and paid their dues, so to speak. Uh, the, the liberals are that way too, in many ways. Um, so I think they're going to be very resistant to an outside leader. Um, Shannon Phillips, I think, has got the cred of the left. And uh you know, has done a bit to position herself as a bit, bit more of a mainstream alternative. But uh, maybe I'll start with uh, with you, Nigel. On who do you think would be kind of the top candidates to replace uh, Notley, both in terms of who would be a competitive candidate to win it, but also who the new Democrats might want to look to as someone who could potentially win an election.
1: Well, all of what you said about their preference for somebody who's come through the the approved methods of becoming a leader, going to all the committee meetings, knocking on the doors, all that. When it comes right down to it, it is true of the NDP, as it is true of any party, that in the end, they will take the person who will help them win. And as I said earlier, that may not be somebody who is presently in the legislature. Um, we had some fun, I think, in the newsroom there, speculating on how it would go if the unions were allowed to uh, to choose the, the next leader, and perhaps Gil McGowan would be prepared to take a
0: look at the job. Uh, uh, he's actually rumored to be, at the very least, very interested in the job. I, for one, love it. Oh,
2: mm-hmm. be I love it.
1: It'd be so good. <laughs> you see, we do have good sources, Derek. Uh, We've both heard the same malicious rumor. I, you know, I come back to the, the person of David Egan only because he is a temperate individual who can make that trip back and forwards between Calgary and Edmonton, talking to the different audiences. I am not saying that I have any strong points of agreement with him, certainly in his time... As education minister, I was arguing strongly against some of the things that he was doing. But I'm just told that you asked the kind of person who could put them over the line he perhaps could if Premier Smith really screwed up.
0: Perhaps. That being said, I get the impression from him that his heart's not in it. Yeah. Like, by the way, I wasn't I, I serious get...
1: about Gil McGowan.
0: No. <laughs> but uh, David Egan. I don't know. Uh, he's actually a very nice guy. But... Uh, I don't think he's got the fire in the belly for it anymore. I mean, he's he's been there a long time. He mm-hmm. was uh, he was one of the four members of the NDP caucus before they won in 2014. Sorry, 2015. He's been there quite a while now. Notley's kind of got him on the backbenches. Ah, I don't think his, I don't think he's got the fire in the belly for it. But uh, uh, who would be your top candidates to to replace I, Notley? I,
2: I think probably, as you said, maybe Shannon Phillips. The uh, so rumor is she
0: is not as well. But yeah. again, these are just... No, I mean, I'm throwing you know,
2: We could have Max I, Fawcett or Janice Irwin jumping into the uh, mix there as well. Max needs a job. Uh,
0: Janice Irwin <laughs> would be... <laughs> That's top shelf crazy.
2: But most of what we see with people coming in are I'm seeing more leaders of the opposition. I'm not seeing somebody who at least did this... And things change when a race comes in. Sometimes a person is in the wings. You never realize they had that fire going but I, I'm just seeing more people who will serve perhaps diligently as a leader of a socialist leaning party, uh, but won't take them over that line of becoming premier. They, they, I think they will have to either learn to reach outside of their own circles as, as they're disinclined yeah. to do, or the, there's really got to be a rising star hiding in there that I just can't see right now.
1: See, the thing is, after I'm going to make the assumption that Premier Smith aces this and mm-hmm. in four years time is looking very strong. You really don't want anybody coming off the back benches who is going to scare people. So, who could they run that wouldn't just make people instinctively back away from the TV screen or the computer screen?
0: You know, for me, if I'm the NDP, my ideal candidate is someone from Calgary, someone who's got some business cred, uh, and, you know, can't be uh, painted with a brush of far-left activism, yeah. and something like that. You know, um, you know, the NDP got real close with Todd Hirsch. Uh, from uh, <laughs> and He was chief economist for uh, Alberta Treasury Branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't share his politics, but unlike most new Democrats, he at least has a theoretical understanding of economics. understands that there's supply and demand and some very basic things. He's not crazy. He shares views that are left of center, but he's not crazy. Someone like that comfortable in a a Calgary crowd, someone who doesn't make anyone who runs a business or manage people instinctively start packing their bags as soon as they see a new Democrat come by, that would be good. But I'm not sure new Democrats would go for it. From what I said before, does this person have long-term credit in the party? The, The NDP do not, they see those people as parachute candidates. They want someone who started as a private before they become a general.
2: It's similar to Ninchy. You know, he, he could probably pull it off as a progressive, but could be but, pragmatic enough, but, but the he, he hasn't be, but the come from inside. The union
0: base would not no. like him because he hasn't paid his dues. Exactly. They would see him as an opportunist coming in. And-
2: so that's what the NDP kind of has to ask itself. Do we want to remain in opposition, or do we start looking exactly for somebody yeah. a little more pragmatic to take us over the line? And uh, I suspect they're going to stick true. They're very union, very tied to their base right now. Notley was an exception, but she also was holding the reins during a particular lining of the stars of a split conservative vote, a very volatile and sour Alberta electorate. Uh, As we say, yes, perhaps uh, Premier Smith would pull off something catastrophic in the next three and a half years, but
0: you can't count on that. Well, do remember that no Premier since uh, the last no Conservative Premier in Alberta has even finished a term since Klein in 2004. So it is now 19 years. It'll be more than 20 years by the time the next election comes. At this moment, looking at Smith and the government, I say, oh, yeah, she's going to finish four years and have a great chance at re-election. But remember, at this point, we all said the same thing about Ed Stelmeck. We all said the same thing about Alison Redford. We all said the same thing uh, about Jason <laughs> Okay, One year in, you knew they were done? Yeah. You knew they were done after a year into their term? I had my doubts about them before they were even uh, nominated. Oh, me too, too, but I I, I thought they'd finished the term. I I, I thought they were both bad, Redford in particular, Mm. Kenny in particular, but I thought they'd finish a term. Never dawned on me one year in, but halfway through, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, I don't think so. But, you know, a year in, it's rare to be on the rocks the first year into your first term. Mm. So, you know... uh, Oh, and Smith is halfway through a first year, so she's clear for now. So what I'm saying is, there's clear historical precedence that the conservatives will blow themselves up.
2: It's it's not impossible, that's for
0: sure. She, yeah. she's still leading a
2: hornet's nest. That you know, there,
0: Alberta conservatives are the hardest people to rule on the planet, worse than Somalia. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you know, discussing this in the newsroom today. Um, we considered setting up a cabbage with a 24-hour live camera asking, can this cabbage last longer than the liberals, latest Liberal speaker? So, uh, I don't even know this guy's name. He's uh, the new speaker. Greg Fergus. Greg Fergus, yeah. Uh, he's the new speaker in the House of Commons, uh, Liberal speaker, because the last guy lost his job when he invited a soldier from the Waffen SS who fought in the Ukrainian Legion, uh, to stand and be honored and recognized in the House of Commons. Uh, I mean, he, he paid a significant price. I imagine the price was a lot less than if he had been a conservative. They probably would have said, well, the, the conservative was practically fighting for the SS themselves. But nonetheless, he he took an inevitable fall for what happened there. Uh, also, it was a necessity of protecting Trudeau. Someone had to take the fall. Uh, so this guy comes in. He's been here just a couple of months and now in really, really hot water. Now, most MPs, uh, every MP in the House of Commons, except for one, is allowed to, and is expected to, engage in partisan activity. Party conventions, partisan speeches, partisan fundraising, all of these things. But there is one man or woman in the House of Commons who is not supposed to be doing this thing by convention that is the speaker because their role is no matter how they're elected is to be the impartial and nonpartisan enforcer of the rules to make sure that Parliament functions fairly and evenly regardless of party theoretically at least uh, but uh, this Fergus guy gave uh, a speech for uh, a Liberal Party convention or whatnot that uh, was very partisan now that
1: well, it was a video tribute honoring the outgoing interim Ontario Liberal Ah, uh, yes.
0: Yes, that was it. Okay, so well, there he was in yeah. his robes.
2: And he was wearing well, the regalia of the role yes, too.
0: it would have been very taboo if he had done it, period. But he, then he did it in his speaker's robes and regalia. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's like the difference between King Charles giving a political speech on global warming And then King Charles giving, uh, so bad enough, and then King Charles giving a political speech on global warming, wearing his crown and holding the scepter, sitting on the throne of England, wearing that weird tiger uh, thingy on him. I think it just accentuates how inappropriate it is for Uh, someone who is in a strictly nonpartisan office to be doing this. So I I didn't mean to be bashing the king here, but... uh, (laughs) He did go go and make the (laughs) the speech. Made a total ass of himself. I'm yeah, Sitting I, there, I, looking at the screen, and I I'm gave just... I gave your king one toast. <laughs> no, never again. That, I gave him I gave him his one chance. He screwed it up. Yep. Anyway, uh, back to uh, speaker here. This speaker totally bungled it. It would have been very inappropriate for him to do it. Period. But then he but he did it in his speaker's robes and regalia, totally out of line. Created a big kerfuffle uh, with the opposition. The, the opposition because he's voted as a liberal they now say, well, you've broken even the appearance of your non You got to go. Um, the NDP are quietly trying to decide what to do. They've made some public statements about kicking it out to, how, to a committee and stuff. But the NDP are, the Bloc and the Conservatives are already ready to vote non-confidence in them and replace them. The NDP are kind of waiting. Uh, and remember, the it's a minority government. So the opposition parties could remove them. And word I'm getting from Ottawa is... The Liberals are back in their guy, but not to the wall. They're not gonna die on this hill. The Liberals know he screwed up badly. And the Liberals aren't on very solid grounds with their speakers right now. The last guy resigned for something to do with World War II. So, uh, Nigel, uh, the guy screwed up. I think he knows he screwed up, he apologized. And needed a new speaker, to be fair. does this guy deserve another chance? or Oh, and then he took off to Washington as the whole thing blew up on a junket. Well, I was actually but going to com- mention that. That compounded uh, it pretty badly.
1: Well, not, uh, it's not even that it compounded I think that when he knowingly went to go and do that, that he thought, know, well, I'm going to be done anyway. I want to do this for whatever reason. I want to do it as an old friend. So I'm going to go down there and talk about my days as a young liberal. And when I get back, I may have a job and I may not. We'll see. But, you know, it's... Uh, I. I, I think he'd already given up. So my strong expectation is that we will see see Mr. Fergus resign or get booted out here quite quite shortly. You know, ideally, the Speaker would not say or do anything to call attention to themselves. It's just not their job. Um, it's not their office. And they, they bring Parliament to, to disrepute as, when they do these kinds of things. So... Any news, any speaker, the next speaker needs to know when to leave the ceremonial robes in the closet and uh, maybe decline, maybe just say no to some of the attractive op- offers that will c- undoubtedly come his way. And if for no other reason than this, if parliamentary procedure and tradition is not enough, the speaker in Canada has a most excellent official residence to live in. And you know what the best part of that place is. And a wine cellar to go with it. No, right? that's not it. Well, that's the Scotch
0: library. Uh, well, there's <laughs> they that. They have to... a Scotch library. Uh, yeah. So there's only one reason I want to be speaker. That that must have been a very
1: awkward uh, uh, conversation when the last speaker departed, having to explain to the family, well, we're going to have to move out of this and back into the two bedroom apartment, you know, whatever they have. Look, uh, it's a shame. I mean, uh, people do silly things and so they have to pay the consequences. I don't think he meant any harm, but you don't do that sort of thing.
0: You know, if I was the speaker and I and I think I'm going to get the axe, I go to that Scotch library and <laughs> lock myself in there until they send a sergeant <laughs> of arms to peel me out. I mean, get your money's worth. <laughs> Um,
2: it's a good gig, you know. It's about 270 a year, I believe. And you've got your accommodations, a lot of prestige. I mean, oh, you also have to wrangle those those fools in Parliament at times. It's going to be frustrating. Yeah. But he should know better. I mean, that's the cardinal rule of that job. And we know they still might hold partisan things. They were all elected initially. But you just stuff that away and you try. I mean, just to give a, a plug for somebody local, Nathan Cooper. I mean, talk about an exception. He loves that job. He sticks to the rules. It is
0: creepy how much and, he loves that and job. he
2: promotes the office of the speaker fantastically. He puts out great videos. He explains what the office is, what the legislature is. He's a rare gem to find to take that role on. Uh, but well, I mean, there's Christmas for this to cool down. They might yeah. let it cool down and we'll see. The public loses interest in
0: things. You know, Cooper is such a, a fanatical speaker that, or, so we, we were MLA's the Wild Rose together, and, you know, we'd be all navel-gazing, and we're, you know, ah, when we defeat the NDP, the different jobs we want, you know. I was finance critics, I was like, finance, and Nixon was like, uh, well, he was house leader, and he was like, I want to be house leader in the government, and we're all like, and, you know, come to, I think we're sitting around beers and going to Cooper, who's not drinking a beer, because he's Cooper, and he's just like, oh, I want to be the speaker. And we're like, <laughs> what do you mean you want me to be a speaker? Like, you, you be speaker if you don't get minister. Like, then it's the next <laughs> best job, right? You want ministry. If you don't get a ministry, you want to be speaker. He's like, the hell with being a minister. I want to wear the hell out of those robes and do Robert's Rules of Order every day. <laughs> it It is absolutely nuts. And so you get a guy like that who's so very serious about the job and understands its role uh, to the point where it's it's ra- very rare. It's
2: rare. We could use another one of him in Ottawa. It would do everybody a favor, but where yeah. do you find another new? Uh,
0: this, this Fergus guy, <laughs> I don't know how long he's been an MP or Nine whatnot.
2: weeks. Oh, as an MP, yeah, yeah. he's been a quiet Yeah, you know, not for yeah. too long.
0: But, you know, I remember, you know, like uh, after the 2015 election, uh, almost the entire legislature turned over. The PCs wiped out. The Wild Rose had wiped itself out with floor crossing, so the Wild Rose came in, won a bunch of seats, but we were almost all new because uh, we replaced floor crossers for the most part. And, and then there was a small rump of PCs. But the the NDP had to have a speaker. They had only had four MLA, uh, MLAs before that, and they all went to cabinet. So they had to pick a brand new MLA, uh, Bob Warner, and the guy knew nothing. And it was, I was tough on him, because I knew more about it from watching the leg- question period on TV once in a while. It's uh, so if you don't know the job, you get into a lot of trouble real quick, because it's, you know, it's like you're the traffic cop, right? But if you've never driven a car before, you don't know, like... And you, you, you better
2: know the Traffic Act. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, it's and, it, and, it's going to go bad. Yeah. And so I I don't know how experienced this guy is. If I was the opposition, I'd be, I'd be going for blood. Part of me thinks... Give him a chance. Give him one more chance. But put him on... Like, pass a vote of censure or something, like, spank him. Spank mm-hmm. him hard. But maybe give the guy another chance. I mean... People screw up, and I don't see any malice in it. It was just, it was yeah. bad. Well, I think that's, I think you're
1: being excessively
0: generous. Look, Andrew Scheer, who was. The I'm speaker, always accused of, of that. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> it's, it's the talk of the office. Uh, Andrew Scheer was a speaker himself. And he, put it, he put it this way, it got reported quite widely that it's like the, he compared the situation to the NHL, and if you had a referee appearing in the locker room, one of the teams that was about to take the ice, giving them a pet talk, and then going out and refereeing the game, the guy wouldn't last long. Everybody would understand that's just not what you do. I'm and not sure
0: is. that's a fair equivalent, though, because they're MPs elected with a party. They came from one of the locker rooms first, yeah. and then they changed their jerseys. So, you know, it's appearance. It's not yeah. like... I'm not, I'm not sure if they still do this different. in Britain, but for a long time in Britain, I'm not sure if it's done anymore. Once someone was elected as Speaker... They sat as an independent, technically. And the major parties, at least the, you know, the conservatives, the liberals, and labor, they would agree not even to run candidates against that person. They would just be the speaker, and so they would have no real partisan attachment. And that, I think, had a lot more power. But these guys are elected with parties. They're elected by their parties in split partisan votes 99% of the time. So he already came from the locker room, and and he's new. But he is out of the locker room.
2: Yeah. This wow. is a degree of knowing your role. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, it's a mess. Yep. Guy deserves some punishment. <laughs> I'm just not sure it's a gallows offense yet, but we'll see. Oh my God, I think we have a Christmas tree that just popped in the newsroom. Yeah, you yeah. do, and that is. I, got this. Of... I I donated my own artificial tree to this office last year. <laughs> I don't know how we got a real tree now. <laughs> well, that wasn't, the... wasn't in the budget. Probably cut it out from one of the buildings. That's because that's your uh, intern
1: reporter, Jen Hudson, went out into the countryside of. North of Alberta and broke back that tree.
0: Well, it wasn't in the budget. And she's not putting in a chip. (laughs) So you're fine. There we go. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. What fun. And thank you all for joining us today uh, on the pipeline. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, make sure you join now. Go to westernstandard.news. You'll get full access to all Western Standard content for $10 a month or $100 a year. And you'll be supporting proudly bailout-free independent media. Thank you very much for joining us today, and God bless. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms, regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. If you' become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.